Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who is definitely familiar with having a Tito's bill to pay. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I don't know if I've ever hit 20 million, thank God. Um, no, you know, Mr. Beverage, that is his name, uh, Tito Beverage, was, uh, you know, a great friend of uh, of all college students. Uh, you know, you only saw the Tito's t-shirts around campus. Uh, Tito, Mr. Beverage, came and, and spoke at a Texas Cowboys meeting and gave every man in the room a handle, which is probably the cheapest way to buy a lifetime connoisseur that has something like 10,000% <laughs> ROI, so genius marketer. Uh, but a great storyteller and, you know, seems like a pretty good guy. So, uh it's just always fun when you remember like the depth and varied industries of profession of success and wealth that exist in this UT uh, fan base. It's easy to understand a guy who is from San Antonio. He went to university of Texas. Like his business is based in Austin. It's like, it's hard not to understand what the, the love foundation is, is doing. And, and this is not the only thing that they're doing, but if you missed the news, um, through their philanthropic arm, uh, Tito's VOD, which started in the city of Austin has pledged $20 million for the building of not one, not two, not three, but four, I believe athletic facilities, including a new football practice facility, hopefully, thankfully, prayerfully getting rid of the bubble that, people absolutely hate and should have been replaced, I don't know, 10 years ago. RIP to the bubble. Had a lot of good memories in there myself. Uh, once caught a pass from Vince Young in that bubble. Um, so, you know, it, it's tough to see it go. But again, that was uh, many, many years ago when I caught that pass. Unfortunately, Vince wasn't here three years ago. It's been a while uh, since the bubble was great and, and Texas football was that great. But anyways, uh, not sad to see that go. The new basketball uh, facilities have been approved by the Board of Regents. So I don't know if the money already approved, if this covers part of that or if that's an addition to it. But uh, very cool uh, as well. There may be some combination. I don't know if rowing, I assume they'll have something on the water. But if that's in combination with any of the other facilities or that's dedicated. Uh, the interesting thing the rumors I've I've been hearing uh, from my folks on campus is that there may be some some roulette uh, effectively with the business school uh, moving um, or I guess creating a new building where there is a parking lot now across from the other new business school building which means that uh, the social work can move into the old business school uh, building which means that that can be torn down and that's potentially where the new practice facilities could be right there uh, close to the stadium which is very interesting don't know not breaking news there, just whispers of what might potentially happen. Uh, so curious, we'll be the, the campus. If you're an alum or you're a person who's been in years past, just looks so wildly different already. And it sounds like more chains and more cranes are on the horizon. I mean, that's, that's been the scuttle from, from a couple of different sources now, not sources you and I have, but sources that other people have that then just like, you know, message us or me know personally. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been long needed and 
regardless of what is happening on the field or on the court, um, Chris Del Conte getting a new basketball arena and multiple practice facilities funded outside of the university by business donors, not necessarily the deep pockets that uh, Texas fans expect usually when a coach needs to be buy- bought out, uh, but uh, other deep pockets like that to me is like a legacy maker for him, regardless of you know how football or basketball hires turn out. I think we'll probably be relatively pleased with both of those as well. Um, this is like a, a massive move for the legacy of Crystal Conti as the athletic director. No. That's a really good point, right? I, th- I think a lot of people will pin how good Del Conte is on uh, on specifically the do we win football, you know, conference or national titles? Does basketball, you know, make it into uh, single digits of, of tournament? Uh, you know, so there are certain expectations that stop with our two biggest revenue sports. But uh, I think Crystal Conti is, is really just knocked it out of the park as the perfect AD for the NIL era, um, is the perfect AD kind of in this lost it so much at that point when he came in but there's been a little bit of stale and kind of revamping and giving a facelift which he's you know very good at, at large capital campaigns and just kind of the the great uh, ad at the at the right time and again was awarded for it last year I, I might talk about this a little later in the show but the performance that texas had in the athletic directors directors cup they call that a tease in the business <laughs> kyle but we are not here to talk about tasty drinks. We're here to talk about tasty dunks as Texas moves back into the top 25 with back-to-back wins. A big win over TCU, 73-50, to before edging out and really outlasting Tennessee, 52-51. to The TCU game looked like it was going to be one of those frustrating ones early, Kyle, if I'm being completely honest with you. Watching the first seven minutes or so of that game, I was like, if Texas drops this game to, to TCU, I... I may be on the we shouldn't have fired Shaka train. Sorry, we shouldn't have offered Shaka <laughs> to find a soft landing train. But um, Texas put 11 unanswered points uh, early, and that put them ahead for good. Led, as, led by as much as obviously 23, the biggest margin uh, that they closed out the game with, which Texas looked dominant in a way that I don't think we've seen them look all year. This was fun. This was this was as fun as probably a Texas basketball game has been all year. Uh, the fact that they went on the road, which if you weren't sure, just look at any images of that um, that court, which will make your eyes bleed, like the uh, the famed Horn Frog uh, defense mechanism. Um, but to go on the road and beat again a, a Big Twelve team is, is tough to do. Doesn't matter who it is. This this was comparative to some of the ones down the road, maybe an, an easier road game to, to bump up the wins in that column, but certainly not an easy game. And and the way they did it to me was more important even than the outcome, right? It, it was, um, you looked at TCU, who was the best offensive rebounding, one of the purely best rebounding teams in the country. And Texas, you know, struggled a bit. You saw Seton Hall uh, kind of set in, in Gonzaga, set what size and offensive rebounding can do to Texas um, in their other kind of marquee games. And uh, it, it looks like Texas has come a long way in in the rebounding department. And they ran in this one. 22 fast, breaks is by, uh, fast break points is by far their season high. And uh, 21 assists is their conference high, just blowing the 15 they had at KSU to open conference play out of the water. So they're moving the ball, running, and taking what a, a good opponent wanted to do. And the other thing that TCU has a, a solid defense that's predicated on forcing turnovers, they cut down turnovers. So it really was kind of a perfect game. They 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 missed some shots, but they grabbed the rebounds. They got out and ran to get easy points. It was all the things we've been wanting. And again, it, it 
I had multiple people text me during the game and say, I, you know, I saw the score. I didn't watch the game. Is it as, is it as fun as, as it sounds, or is TCU just bad? And no, TCU's a good team. Texas just went out and won that dang game and, and, and won it incredibly convincingly. Again, the most convincing win of the year. You got 22 fast break points. I didn't think the Texas was capable of putting up double-digit fast break points, but 22 is a massive – and 34 points in the paint. Again, Texas did it the way that I think Chris Beard absolutely wants to. Now, they have a – I'll just say it, They have a talent advantage, I think, over what TCU brings to the table. But TCU is not a bad basketball team. Nobody in the Big 12 is a bad basketball team. Um, and so doing that against TCU, doing that against a Big 12 team is impressive. Timmy Allen led all scorers, 16 and 8. Ramey chipped 14. Andrew Jones got 12. Uh, hit th- a nine of it came from behind the arc. Carr scored 11. It's good to see somebody else play dominantly without it being Marcus Carr iso ball all day. Like that to me, I think is a develop- positive development as well. Is that Marcus Carr didn't have to have a 20 point night in which he's creating his own shots off one on ones and everybody else is just playing spectator. Uh, that to me is is probably the most impressive thing about it for Texas in. And we said it last week, Texas needed to not find the second guy, but the third and fourth guy. And at least in this game and a little bit, not as much in the Tennessee game, but Texas definitely had three or four guys that were able to contribute. Yeah, absolutely. And, and contribute in different ways, like scoring, like you said, Gerald. And, and then again, multiple guys hitting the glass, including our, our beloved son, Brock Cunningham, who played a lot in this one and just showed that he is truly going to be one of those cult hero favorites that people of this era talk about in Texas basketball or Texas sports that, you know, generations 20 years from now, be like, who, when they look at the box score, uh, but you don't look at the box score. You look at the Brock score. Um, and the Brock score is, uh, is very good. I love when that guy plays a lot. Uh, I hope that becomes a trend as we get to the second half. Good things happen when Brock is on the court. Brock Cunningham, top 20 in the country in plus minus in in a weird like glue glue, glue there's, guy there's plus m- plus minus glue guy there, plus there minus, is a basically. stat uh, <laughs> there is absolutely a stat and we tweeted it out earlier because we stand a true king so texas been looking for uh some quad one wins uh this season to boost the con the uh tournament resume and the tcu game turned out to be one another one that could when it's all said and done edging out Tennessee, a sellout crowd. Um, they were friendly at the beginning for Rick Barnes' return. They had nothing but love for Rick Barnes, which is a 180 from how he left town, but that's either here nor there. Uh, but Texas had a 17-point lead with eight minutes left, and Tennessee, the wrong orange, went on a 19-2 run to tie the game. Texas had a stretch of five and a half minutes on the clock that they did not Score. The only reason that streak was broken was the go-ahead free throw with six seconds left to win the game, and that was uh, the back half of a uh, of a pair of free throws that the first one was missed. So Texas did everything in its power to give that one away, but still managed to come away with a W in this one. A two-game week gives you eighty minutes in in bass uh, of basketball played this week, and, and Texas played you know almost seventy of those unbelievably well. But boy. Boy, when it was bad, was it bad? This this somehow felt like a felt like a a loss that was a top you know twenty five win um, at the end because of you know exactly like Gerald said to be up 
17 points and then uh basically to see that that evaporate and and have to you know get it with a game-winning free throw when you just again go minutes at a time uh five and a half in this case without putting the ball in is is a little bit scary but you know if chris beard's objective was to unite the family and kind of get everyone on rick barnes's uh bandwagon with some love show him the respect by not blowing him out but also you know show that uh show that, that he can still win the game do just enough to 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 make sure that no one wants Rick Barnes back, but also doesn't necessarily want Beard fired, then then what did he do? He did perfectly. But, I mean, look, they, they barely broke the 100 mark in this game. This was two good defenses um, who were able to take away at least one thing uh, of what the other team wanted to do. And uh, the counterpunch, Texas won that battle for the most of the game and, and was able to kind of, yet again, weather out a storm where they just can't do anything. The other team takes, you know, takes away all signs of life on offense and and if if they can cure that or shrink that number even smaller then again the the 75 percent of this game where that wasn't the case they they looked like this was going to be a banner week and ultimately look look it still was they moved back in the top 25 um this is a ken palm now i think they sit at 15 and and tennessee actually because they had a great road showing against a, a good team they they're 13 in ken palm so i mean this is it this is a Sweet 16 type of matchup, even if it was ugly. Uh, and Texas came out the victor again. They were home court, so that helps a little. Uh, and there was emotions all over the place. But but just from a, you know, take zoom out a little. Yes, we would have loved to win this one. What momentum it could have been to, to have a double-digit win uh, against the top 25 team. But we won. And we've been looking for a marquee home one. We've been looking for a top 25 one. It... it, it takes some of the pressure off it takes some of the the internet trolls ammo away it, it honestly checks a box for like we said q1 wins and tournament resume that that kind of makes the rest of the season land yap i think effectively texas unless they just go over from here should be effectively in um so it, it, you know hopefully they can just build on this but i i think in the long the long run they had to win that everything looks better and less bleak no matter how ugly the win was walking away with a win in that one We've said it before, and we'll say it again. We'd rather Texas win ugly than lose ugly, and there have been some ugly losses this year. And so this is a win. A win is a win is a win against a ranked team, a good team, a tournament team. Chris Beard said it after the game. There's nothing disappointing about this win because Tennessee's an NCAA tournament team, and those are the types of teams that Texas needs to get wins against. And they have really haven't done – this is probably the best win of the year thus far, at least in my estimation, uh, based upon what Texas has done and the resume that they've built. And so – as Texas looks to bolster their resume for the NCAA tournament, like you said, Kyle, this feels like one that they had to win and they got it. And that's really all that matters because at the end of the year, we're going to look at the chart that has Q1 wins. and It's not going to say Texas blew a 17 point win. It's going to say Texas beat Tennessee. That's what it's going to say. And that's all that matters when push comes to shove. Now, like you said, the pride and the momentum, but winning back-to-back games against two good teams is enough. And Texas hasn't really been able, seemed to be able to do that this year. And so they're sitting pretty. They're sitting better than six other Big 12 schools that, that managed to lose to the SEC teams they faced. And so like Texas is sitting in a good spot right now. You saw some things from this, right? They, they, they turned the ball over a little bit. Um, five for Mitchell, four from Allen, 18 for the whole team. But they shot relatively well over 50% while holding Tennessee to, to 36%, right? That's that defense uh, that we talked about. Um, 
they have the in, in low scoring, low possession games like this help, but have the number one scoring defense in the NCAA, right? That that is a fact of the Texas Longhorns basketball team right now. So um, expect that, right? If if you can strangle someone, you don't necessarily have to go out and score eighty. It's great if you do both, um, but you know they they did the things that they want Texas to do: be efficient on offense, be a be a hemorrhoid on defense, and uh, you know some guys came through. Uh, Timmy Allen nine and, and six, Andrew Jones nine and five boards off the bench, and then Courtney Ramey, a guy who you know it's great that he is just he's getting it going. And we've often said this team with all the new names on it goes as far as Ramey kind of uh, projects them because he's going to play defense and he he's a consistent offensive threat who you know has been a pretty consistent three point shooter this year. So good to see him as we go into a really brutal stretch be kind of locked in. Um, and then you know uh, they they basically held. Tennessee to one guy in double digits. I mean, I have nothing but praise for the defensive side of the ball of what Texas did in this team. And like Gerald alluded to, not many Big 12 teams showed up in the Big 12 SEC Challenge, probably because, you know, they thought it was a game off from the rigors of the the Big 12 schedule that where everyone is is mean, brutal monsters who play defense and rough you up. Uh, but, you know, Texas was able to to get one for the, for the old conference before they joined the new conference. The Big 12 is a knife fight, and the SEC – has some good teams. I mean, Kentucky, Tennessee, those are those are good basketball teams. So for Texas, again, to come away with a big win, that's a positive in my book. So next up for the men, a Tuesday night matchup on the road against Tech before welcoming in a really good Iowa State team. Again, there's not a really a bad team in the Big 12, but we're excited to watch those this week. And we'll actually, little teaser as well, be back on Thursday to talk a little bit about that and some other stuff. We'll talk about it. Later, but on the ladies' side, they should not be outshone. But number nine women's basketball absolutely put a beating on Kansas State. Uh, they it was it was nasty, but fell on the road to number nineteen OU late. Texas played absolutely suffocating defense against the Wildcats and just held held them held them at under fifty points, under thirty five. Kyle shooting from the floor in that one. Absolutely just Vic, Vic Schaefer. When Vic Schaefer lays his head on the pillow at night, that Kansas State game is what he dreams about. Yeah, and, and, and a 66-48 win is good against anyone, but 66 points, you wondered would that be enough generally when, uh, again, against a good OU team, Kansas State had a player who rolled out there in her last game and scored the NCAA all-time Division one scoring record of 61 points in her previous outing. So she was hot. All kudos to Lauren Ebo stepping up. She drew the assignment of, of guarding Ayoka Lee again, held her to 41 points less than uh, her last time out. Uh, 20 is, is a good number for the NCAA's leading uh, scoring big. And uh, she had nine rebounds, three blocks, Lauren Ebo. But I mean, all in all, I mean, totally uh, just suffocated that, that team, like Gerald said, under 35, but also under 17% from deep. They couldn't really do anything. Uh, Kansas State's offense they if, if the get it into the big in the middle wasn't working they had no second option um and you know the nice thing when we talk about kansas having a dominant big texas out rebounded kansas state 33 to 32 and actually outscored them 26 to 20 in the paint so kind of everything you look for uh in that kansas state uh, game um they forced turnovers got points off those turnovers um it, it was the vic schaefer playbook 
shot 48%, which again, isn't great, but it's better than 35. So they made six of their six of their 18 three-pointers. Aliyah Mathari scored 18 to go with her five boards and three assists. Audrey Warren continues to uh, thrive in her new role as the Manu Ginobili of this team. Um, coming off the bench, scored 16, um, went eight of nine from the floor. She was big in that, that, uh, that down low performance that Texas put up. Uh, and friend of the show, Joanne Allen-Taylor, scored 12 and so we have to put it we have to move on from that game because that was that was an incredible performance there were 19 lead changes and 12 ties in the OU game but OU finished the game on a 5-0 run that broke Texas's four game win streak Liz Scott um I don't know how like if the last, if the Kansas State game was Vic Schaefer's dream, Liz Scott being able to just absolutely go up and take a bunny with seconds left on the clock is Vic Schaefer's nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. And then you know they 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 get the lead. Texas gets the the game winner chance against OU, which you know makes you a legend and and can't can't hit it. So um, it was a tough one. But that game was was kind of wild. It, it you know OU is a good team. I think these were both top twenty five opponents. Uh, they won the home game, lost the road game. You always want to beat OU, but if they had to lose uh, one of them, I thought it might be this. But it's interesting. You played a big team and then a, a kind of guard-dominant team, so it'll be interesting if that plays out, um, you know, if Texas is, is going to be more suited for one versus the other, how uh, the, the tournament looks, you know, who they get matched up might be uh, might be crucial when we think about this week and, and what that says about this team. The, the offense for Texas also dipped uh, in efficiency where they, you know, shot 48%. It dropped down to 33%, and this one 30% from deep and I think the biggest uh, number that you see here is 24 Texas uh, committed a, a season high 24 turnovers they did force 27 which is excellent uh, but they they you know had it uh, happen back to them um, even though they they evened out at 37 apiece on rebounds uh, I think Texas just not being able to execute uh, and especially down the the stretch at the end on offense uh, was was tough and and you know no no shame to Roy Harmon, who tried her part with her, her second career double-double, 15 points and 11 rebounds for the the point guard, which I always love that stat when you get a double-digit rebound from the guard. Uh, three steals, went six for six from the line. I thought you saw Rory Harmon, you know, apex, who the, the, the type of guard who's going to, you know, take Vic Schaefer teams for the next couple of years on tournament runs. But, uh, you know, tough loss. One-in-one uh, one week, split home and away, you know, uh, you learned something about this team, but I don't think losing to you in this one says everything about the long-term prospects uh, of this one. But, you know, Vic won't like it. No, he's absolutely fuming and seething and absolutely angry about it. But the Big 12, even on the women's side, the Big 12 is a really tough conference. You've got several top 25 teams. You've got several tournament teams in it. And while this loss does suck and we're not happy about it, Texas is still sitting in a solid position to, to strike at the heart of the conference championship. I mean, they are two games back from first place. Like, that. that's it. So if Texas can string together some wins and Iowa State and Baylor and – again, like, there's there are opportunities there on the schedule. So Texas gets another one of those opportunities this week. They're back in – Action on Friday as they take uh, head to Waco to take on Baylor and then have to come home and host Baylor in a back-to-back weekend two-step. So even splitting those games with Baylor puts them both at at six and three. 
And so that ties them for third in the conference. So again, their ability to compete for a conference regular season championship and tournament championship at this point is still very much in their hands in spite of this loss to OU. That's right. Both those games are, are uh, on ESPN2 national television the friday one uh in waco is prime time at seven so uh tune in cheer on and try to get there for the weekend game back uh back in austin because i think hey splitting it one and one is great they can go uh two and oh against baylor and again this is the covid reschedule so they haven't got to play them but two and oh against baylor in the post kim mulkey era and, and kind of said a uh this is vix conference now then then you know whew, what a statement that would be and uh, i think a lot of loud fans in the irwin center could, could help again Texas with an opportunity to kind of seize the conference race by the horns and, and get themselves right back in it this weekend with a two-step against Baylor but now it's the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and shine some light on the sports that don't normally get as much shine and we down the 40 let's start in the natatorium Kyle number two women's swimming and diving defeats North Carolina State who's ranked number five in the country for your record-keeping purposes, 156 and a half to 143 and a half. Then they also absolutely jumped out in front of North Carolina, 141 to 102. After spending two days in the Tar Heel State running up and down Tobacco Road, they won 10 of 16 and 9 of 13 events, respectively. So 10 of 16 against NC State, 9 of 13 against North Carolina set seven pool records across the two days. Next up for the Longhorns, heading to Dallas, taking on SMU this weekend. That's right, and and uh, the men will join them there. They had an off week, but uh, not a lot of swimming before the Big 12 championships. I think the women have an extra one day at Rice, uh, but then the Big 12 championships right around the corner at the end of this month. So this was an impressive, uh, impressive imprint they left on the on the Tar Heel State uh, going down the coast there. So uh, men men were off, but the women basically showed there's there's dominance all over the Texas swimming program. Speaking of dominance, number three, men's and women's Texas track, you could say either one of them interchangeably because they're both ranked number three, closed out the Texas Tech Multis and open meet. Christine Blazaveka, we're a fan of hers. Hopefully she's a fan of ours as well. <laughs> but she broke the pentathlon record by 108 points with an NCAA leading score of 4,402 points. I don't know how the pentathlon is scored, uh, <laughs> but that seems like a big number. And also, five. we've already talked about how the heptathlon is too many. Pentathlon also seems like too many events at least for somebody who's never done a one tathlon <laughs> a ta- a un tathlon a, a tathlon <laughs> um yeah uh, she broke a friend of the podcast national champion ashton zamzow's record uh at texas again holds the best uh score in the in the country this year and, and again on the on the men's side if you like people who do lots of events the nuge our guy, leo nugenbauer won the heptathlon gerald these keep adding i don't know if there's a qu- I don't even know how you say higher than that. What's a septathlon? Who knows? Too many. Who knows what it's even called, uh, but sets a personal best. An NCAA leading score, number three in school history of 6,000 uh, points with that extra uh, seventh, or extra two, I guess, seven events there in the heptathlon. Julian Alfred as well had a big weekend, was tabbed with the co-Big 12 Women's Track and Field Athlete of the Week, ran 60 meters in seven seconds, which is the third fastest time in the world. Kyle, not not in the not in the NCAA's, not in the country. Third fastest time in the world of 2022. I don't know if I could go from my couch to the kitchen in seven seconds, Kyle. 
Yeah, Gerald. Like, you know, I, I, I it depends if I stop. I have a snack break, and I think if we, do, if it's an untimed snack break, maybe I can do that. But if we're counting me taking time to stand up, eat the chips, then yeah, I probably, I probably can't do it either. Uh, I've tried. I've tried. There's too many toys. I've got three children. <laughs> it is a nightmare out there. That it might be like a steeplechase in my living room. Come to find out. But number one. Women's tennis swept Florida Atlantic 4-0, then sweep SMU 4-0 as well. Just didn't drop anything that week. To advance to the ITA Indoor Nationals, they improve to 3-0 and on the season without dropping a set. Big ups to the ladies. The ITA National Team Indoor Championships will be held on basically Super Bowl Valentine's weekend, February 11th to 14th in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, but before that, the Long Range will return to the court against number 22 Baylor on uh, Wednesday, uh, day after you're listening to this at home in Austin. On the men's side, the number nine tennis team sweeps receiving votes Columbia for nothing and then advance to the ITA Indoor Nationals with a four nothing sweep of those Oregon Ducks. Texas dominating on the hard surface. That's right. Ranked uh, single wins for Pierre Yves Belly uh, of UT nice. beating, thank you, number 12, Alex uh, Kotzen, or my favorite Dutch tennis, or excuse me, Belgian uh, tennis player uh, on the 40 acres of all time. Uh, that's Pierre uh, beating Alex Kotzen, uh, number 12. And then also number 20, Michael Braswell beat number 87, Hugo Hashimoto, which is a great name. Uh, Columbia always loved their kind of shade of, of baby blue. They're, ni- they're a nice team. They were, uh, they'll probably be a top 25 team for all said and done, but Texas came out and, uh, and put the sweep on them uh those indoor national championships on the men's side will take place a week after the women's in seattle washington uh and this is the fourth consecutive year that those will feature our fighting texas longhorns men's tennis team so before then again like on the ladies side texas has to take on number two baylor on friday this friday february 4th in waco keeping it country club though number nine texas golf Men's golf finished eighth at the Southwestern Invitational. They are, however, dealing with a circle, circle, dot, dot issue. They do not have any cooties on the <laughs> team currently dealing with those injuries. That's that's not bad, Gerald. I like that. Junior Travis Vick placed in a, a season-best tie for fourth in the individual standings. Cole Hammer started off strong, kind of waned a little bit. Uh, it will be nice when they can drop their two lowest scores, which were their two uh, alternates, and and bring uh, the, the, the Cootie brothers back in, I think. Don't panic too much again. Finishing uh, when number nine finishes eighth, uh, you, but remember that there were seven top twenty-five teams in this, and Texas was down. Uh, probably it's number two and three players. They'll be back. Do not despair. But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics: Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, uh, you know. There's, there's certain topics that are just my wheelhouse that I love. And uh, if you if you tweet at us, send us messages on, on Twitter and, and they're in that wheelhouse, I might just might just give you a give you a read, give you a signal boost here on the podcast. If you're not following good friend of the pod, Brett Wilkinson, that's at bwilkie55 on uh, on Twitter. He, he uh, basically sent us the uh, note uh, updating where he's been tracking over on Horn Sports. Shout out to my, my, my good friend, Aaron Carrera. Sometimes listen to this podcast. Uh, the uh, thread over there where he's updating basically the Director's Cup. He's been posting periodic updates since uh, the fall season. And uh, his latest took a look at where the Longhorns stand. It was actually interesting to see. Uh, and you can check it out over there at Horn Sports. But it was actually interesting to see that based on fall performance, even though football 
wasn't a significant upgrade. Texas actually outpaced where they were when they won the Directors' Cup last year uh, at 171 points versus 144. Now, remember, they won three national championships uh, in the in the spring, so there's a lot to to still earn here in the in the uh, semester of champions, basically, as we're, we're dubbing UT. Uh, this is uh, baseball, uh, our, our legendary rowing team uh, track, which we've you know been been winners at, and in, in to be fair, we are also tracking very, very well. In his calculations, he actually took conservative estimates. And it's going to be a close one because Stanford ain't, ain't bad again if they can stumble a little bit. The, the, the thing with the Director's Cup is they take your 19 best. Texas basically enters 20 and hopes they're all really good. Stanford enters 29 and knocks their 10 lowest out. So competing in, in beach volleyball and uh, underwater basket weaving and, and uh, medieval horse jousting or whatever Stanford is doing uh, these days is, is certainly helping them. But that's okay. You know, we, we broke a, a stranglehold, Texas, for big schools uh, in schools in the South and Title IX restricted schools that can't participate in some of the smaller uh, sports has dominated uh, – you know, for, for years, top five finishes pretty much every year in, in this thing. And, you know, Gerald talked about Chris Conti being a, a great athletic director. And if you could get a double back to back here, uh, holding Stanford from what they believe is, is their rightful crown, uh, of the director's cup, then man, that guy will have a, a legacy that goes beyond just really cool buildings and elite funding, uh, to get them there. But, uh, appreciate, uh, our friend Brett sharing that with me and doing the legwork on the, uh, on the updates and analysis there. I, I do the same. So it's good to know I have a fellow, uh, nerd who's who's over here looking for the Triple T Top 10 Texas and he also shared in his note that he's a, a, a joint friend of one of my favorite people on the face of the planet Ryan Simpson the happiest human being I've ever met Ryan haven't haven't had split a chocolate milk with you if you're listening to this uh, text me let's 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 hang out and uh, maybe we'll invite maybe we'll invite Brett be Wilkie 55 on Twitter if you're looking to follow our friend now you should be your friend on that. But again, we've talked about it before. The weird thing is that people define Texas athletics by football and basketball. And it's been a rough couple of years for those two programs. But Texas athletics on a whole ha- is healthier now than I think it ever has been. And, and even in the down years for Texas football, a lot of the other programs were doing incredible things. We just weren't talking about it because everybody was so annoyed at the football team. And I get it. It allows you to talk crap to your friends at the water cooler on Mondays. But you know what? The rest of those sports deserve some love too. But I'm here to talk about somebody who absolutely deserves some love from us. And that is former Texas basketball head coach Rick Barnes, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I'm going to just say it, and this is kind of a terrible thing to say, but Texas fans kind of turned on Rick Barnes, and and understandably so at the end, Um, but Rick Barnes, man, the way that, that he built the Texas program to the expectations, really, that it has now, at least modern Texas basketball post, and it's weird to say this, but like modern Texas basketball is like post-1990. That's the last 30 years, guys. Hurts to say that. But like where modern Texas basketball is, even in the last 20 years, uh, the expectations that we have are all based upon what Rick Barnes was able to do. And, and I said it at the end of his tenure, but Rick Barnes built Texas basketball to a point that even he couldn't sustain it himself. Like he was that good of a coach for such a long period of time. And it's the same thing that happened to really Mac Brown, Mac Brown and Rick Barnes have a very similar uh, legacy in, in 
in Austin where they built this thing to a really high standard in the early 2000s. And, and then they kind of built it to a point where they couldn't even live up to their own lofty standards. And Rick Barnes deserved the reception he got in Austin. Man, they, we, and I, 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 we've bagged on Texas basketball fans. We've bagged on Texas fans in the past, but like that is what Texas fans should do. The warm welcome he got, the love and the absolute just outpouring of support for him uh, coming in again, trying to beat Texas and almost did in, in very uh, much so. And, and you know what? I, I'm very glad Texas sent him out with a loss, but coach Barnes absolutely deserves the reception that he got in, uh, in Austin. And, and it just warmed my heart and it made me happy. And again, he's a guy who's was nothing but classy. He was an incredible statesman for the university of Texas. And I'm just so stinking glad and so stinking proud that Texas fans welcomed him with open arms because he absolutely deserved it. I know every member of the Texas media that, that I know was, was happy to see him back and just kind of shoot shoot the breeze with, with Coach Barnes, who was slapping backs, telling stories, laughing, having a good time both before and after the game. And I hope he stays at Tennessee for a long time so that that can be a fun rivalry in basketball. And he could come uh, to the 40 and we can go, you know, to, to Tennessee and, and play him there. And, uh, you know, I, I think Rick Barnes is a great uh, great basketball coach and a, and a greater human. And uh, not a lot of people have a lot of bad things to say about Rick Barnes, the, the, the person, even though, like you said, if some have anything bad to say. But I just was thinking as, as we watched that, the juxtaposition of, of Chris Beard's uh, welcome home par- parade in, in, in Lubbock, if you've seen on social media, basically, as they arrived Monday um, to, uh, I, I don't, uh, I won't use any French, uh, but the... the Better the, than tech fans. Yeah, the, the the plains of West Texas were littered with uh, with potty mouthery, uh, as as the Tech fans uh, shouted um, non niceties at the coach, at the players, at every member uh, of Texas, and it just goes to show, right? Rick Barnes left Texas, Mac Brown left Texas. You you can leave Texas and be a legend because if you're leaving. Texas, it's not to go to a better school. It's never an upgrade. It's like, hey, it didn't work. And sometimes we do that too quickly. But when you leave somewhere to come to Texas, it's because Texas is an upgrade. And you can feel it and how palpably Tech feels like the little brother and the the little brother syndrome that they have. And it's honestly, it's hilarious. I feed off it. It's heartwarming. But it's just a little pathetic. And and every time, you know, Tech shows the, the... the, the peeping uh, in the, the kind of you've been measured, you've been weighed and found uh, wanting. It's, you know, you, you feel for him a little bit. You just, you, you feel for him. So I hope Beard only wins by four or five. Texas should lean into being the heel. Like Texas should absolutely lean into there. There, there are statistics out there about how many schools absolutely hate Texas and consider them a rival. And so many of them, Texas fans don't even think about until they like enter into our purview to do something stupid like this. I've seen people that I respect in the Texas tech sphere saying it's lame. Like I'll be sure a friend of the show guy who's been on multiple times is like, this is lame. Y'all are stupid. And so like, I feel okay saying that because Albie, again, a guy we love and respect uh, says the same thing. And he's one of them, but like, there's no reason for Texas fans not to eat this up. There's no reason. And (laughs) and I'm just going to be really honest with you. And I told Wes got this, I got his approval. It, if Texas wins on Tuesday night, I'm going to be absolutely reckless on the internet, and it's going to be so <laughs> much fun. But that's all the time we've got for you this week. Quick programming note, though, we're going to hit your podcast feed not once but twice this week. If you're unaware, National Signing Day is Wednesday. Texas in the hunt for a couple of big names, big top 10 player hunting in this one. But we will have friend of the show, another friend of the show, Mike Roach on the show to help us do our national signing day recap. You do not want to miss it. It'll be in your podcast feeds Thursday morning at midnight. 
But Kyle, until then, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pre-Gamer at Texas Pre-Gamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to us again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Tech is so pathetic.